Hey, uh, hey, what's up, Jordan? Hey, Rob, you seem, um, kind of down. What's going on? <sighs> well, you know, it's been, it's getting a little rough out there. Um, there's been a couple of really bad stories this week. Uh, and, you know, one, one in particular that's really, I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Jordan, I've said this many times, but, uh, orange man bad. And the orange man did prove he was bad for, I think, the final time. It was, I really, I've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt on many of these, these situations, but. This is it. The fact that Donald Trump's talking about banning TikTok. Oh, God. Is. I think it's just this is the this is the final straw for me. I can't I can't continue to to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I was just you know we had talked about how excited I was about being accepted to the leftist hype house. Mm-hmm. I had been I had been practicing some really fun dances around the office. Um, I was really looking forward to, you know, really taking the plunge into this into really you know working on becoming a viral TikTok superstar. And just now that that Trump has taken this away from me, I just, I don't know. I don't know where to go next and I feel lost and I feel a bit hopeless, frankly. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, it was just like, it was so cool to see. I mean, I want, obviously I want all my colleagues to thrive and it was just so cool to see like, you know, to my jealousy aside, we're not getting the invite to the hype house, but like, you know, I would still come in and I would walk past the conference room here at Insurgents LLC Global Headquarters. Um, And I would see in the conference room doing kind of the shoot dance or, Orange Justice, yeah. or like pointing at things in the sky, which I would imagine later on on TikTok would be. I was adding word text to that. Yeah, yeah, you're That's pointing right. at text about yeah. policy ideas that you believed in, which was like you know just that just classic TikTok stuff. And now that's that's gone. I mean, it just yeah. seems like you're you're kind of the sparkle in your eye is gone. Yeah, and uh, you know, frankly, it is it is a bit messed up that Donald Trump and or you know in politics you can't ban like you know assault weapons that murder people. Uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff that I think probably should be banned and isn't, but, uh, for whatever reason, Donald Trump has, has chosen to do this. And, uh, you know, he's, he's claiming that it's based on this kind of security issue, uh, because of spyware or, or, you know, information from, from the devices that are running this app, potentially being falling into the hands of the, the Chinese government. And I agree that that is, you know, that's something we should be alarmed by and that I, I actually do think that only American companies should be able to spy on all your, your data and know all your personal details and, you know, have all that access to all that information. You know, I, I kind of agree with that, frankly. But do you want to know why I think he's actually doing this? Oh, well, why? Yeah, well, I think everyone knows that the real reason that Donald Trump is, wants to ban TikTok is because he's tired of seeing those videos where that comedian, uh, you know, lip syncs to his speeches. It's hilarious. Every single oh. one is absolutely hilarious. I, when I watch them, I'm just, you know, laughing uproariously. Sometimes I just fall out of my chair. I think it's so funny. Mm-hmm. And we all know that Donald Trump knows about these videos. He, he gets mad at them. He sees them. And he goes, oh, I'm mad. This, this mm. lady's really, like, making fun of me. You know that he she just haunts his nightmares. And that's why he's doing this. That's why he's uh, banning TikTok is so she can't make these videos anymore. I know. That should, I, that's I, clear to me. I should have known. I, it, I knew it was something else. Because it, it couldn't have just been as simple as a 
a clear national priority to undermine the Chinese government, uh, fueled by a xenophobic understanding of business uh, operations in China. Now, it couldn't be that. It's that. It's the lip sync videos, and I just think when I see those on my Twitter timeline, uh, man, I just get so hilarious. That is the pinnacle of activism. And you know, I just want to say, when he bans TikTok, there's no way she could ever make those videos anywhere else and post them on Twitter. So uh, checkmate, comedian. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. It needs to be reiterated. Orange Man Band. Okay, hello everyone. Hello and welcome to The Insurgents. It is episode 33. Uh, this is Rob Rousseau here. Hey, what's I'm up, kicking man? it over to you. Okay. Yeah. What's up? It's Jordan. We hadn't tried that in a while, and I guess no. maybe I thought we were 33 episodes in. I thought we might have the kind of rapport that we could kind of do that without discussing it ahead of time, but no. maybe, Dream on, maybe another couple dozen episodes. <laughs> we'll... <laughs> I'm here with Jordan Yule, of course. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking with all of you again. How is it going, Jordan? What's up? Oh, um... Kind of a slow week, but it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot happened this no, week, really, no, with no. you personally yeah, no. or politically <laughs> no. at all. No, yeah, yeah I mean, oh, yeah, that was kind of the, probably the most wild and bizarre week of my life. <laughs> well, let's let's update everyone on the saga that's been ongoing since you you very innocently uh, asked the the military recruiters on Twitch. Um, about about U.S. war crimes, a very kind of minor, uh, you know, incident, <laughs> inciting incident that has now led to like real b- political fallout. Um, it's been pretty funny to watch it play out. But what? Let's give a give us a play by play of this week of of where that conversation went um, in in Washington yeah. and elsewhere. Insane. I'll give um kind of the whole synopsis because I've done this a couple other places, but I was thinking like we never actually like really talked about like from start to finish on the show but i've got a quick yeah. like rundown of how this all came to be right so you're you're great by now you're probably familiar with like the military's recruiting tactics on twitch right so specifically the army and the navy this all started like the way this became a conversation and it's not just me because other people were doing it in their discord server first they were going in and saying hey here's a list of u.s war crimes and they were immediately getting banned and I thought, like, okay, that's interesting because this is a government entity banning people for based on the content of their speech. And as I've understood, government uh, operations on public platforms um, is you can't do that. So I, well, I saw they were on Twitch, which is way more public than a private or semi-closed uh, Discord server. And I tried it there and I said, what's your favorite war crime? And posted the link, and the the term war crime was auto modded, so I made it an alphanumeric version W four R C R one M E, and lead speak, yes, if you will, <laughs> yes. And he was like, "Oh, nice! This is this Green Beret who was like the recruiter. Uh, enjoy getting banned, my dude, and and ban me." And I thought that was like funny. Didn't think much of it. I was like, I I thought it was a First Amendment violation. And sent the video to my buddy Rod, who goes by Slasher online, 
and thought like, oh, look at this. And just like, that would be the end of it. And he insisted that we, he tweeted out because it was interesting. And then people wrote about it and they're like, hey, wait, can they do this? So then I wrote the piece for The Nation breaking down the tactics, which is like, you know, as you know, probably by now, if you're listening, if you're a listener of the show, the scammy giveaways and the deceptive tactics, the, the kind of the insinuation that you can just join and be on the esports team, which is not true. And all these other like ways they were recruiting and reaching kids as young as 13 or, or 12 um, or younger uh, on Twitch. And I, to, to put a pin in that, sure, the minimum age to be on Twitch is 13. Everybody, yeah. the, everybody's fucking lied as a kid on the internet, you know, like about their age. I've got a buddy, just anecdotally, he's got a kid who's 10 and a kid who's 6. Both of them spend a lot of their time on Twitch. So it's like, it's more than just... Or it's younger than just the minimum yes. age. It's you're reaching very young kids with military propaganda and recruiters, which is bad, objectively bad. Then AOC sees it <laughs> from a foreign policy group reached out to me and was like, "We could pitch them on doing this amendment because it's appropriations time for for the Defense Department." Okay, sure, let's take a shot and. We went to them with a proposal and a rundown of the issue, and immediately she took it up, and yeah, deeply appreciative to her. She took it up, introduced an amendment that would end all funding for this effort, and then went one step further and tried to introduce an amendment that would also prohibit military recruiters in schools. Now, that one was tougher, and it ended up getting stripped from that appropriations bill, probably because of its intersect with education, because it, there's, there's, there's components of... Uh, military recruit recruiting and tying it to school funding in No Child Left Behind, Bush's education bill. So it got stripped in committee, but this one made it to the floor. This was beyond me. I could not believe we'd gotten this far this fast. Yeah. <laughs> Surreal. It's pretty, it pretty incredible to um, see this, yeah. Yeah. So she, and then, because like we all thought that also it was just going to make it out of committee and then be included in a group, and then that would be it. It would kind of slyly make it in and then just like lose eventually. No, like House leadership stripped it out and called for a vote on this one individually, which was very likely uh, Pete Vosklosky, who is the Defense Appropriations Subcommittee Chair and Pelosi's decision. And they singled this one out and we had debate on the floor. And AOC goes out and gives a speech talking about it and is reading from my Nation article, which is like insane. And... <laughs> the Republicans, it's their turn to debate, and they fucking give their time to Pete Vesklosky, the Democratic uh, chair of that uh, def- defense appropriations subcommittee. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, we're fucked because votes are going to be later in the day. So he's there speaking on behalf of Republicans in opposition to this amendment, which sucks. And then AOC has a rebuttal and that's it. And I would, the rest of the day, I was like really, really nervous, encouraging people to tweet at their members, ask them to support it. And then here... Aida Chavez tweets out like, oh, Congressional Progressive Caucus is, is whipping votes and they're asking their members to support it. I'm like, okay, maybe we got a shot. And then um, the Appropriations Committee sends out a vote recommendation and they say no recommendation on this amendment specifically around a bunch of yeses. And uh, someone on the Hill texted me and was like, that's basically just kind of like a gut punch because it's just, ju- even though it's not a recommendation, it's kind of a subtle, ju- uh, kind of a subtle recommendation recommendation to everybody else it's like we're not weighing in but like you know it's not a yes so then everyone's deference to the defense department and you know the military kicks in uh in the end 103 democrats voted um with republicans to 
to kill this amendment. And that stung a little bit. I mean, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know how optimistic I was because I know like our, our, our Congress sucks and the military is a, a, an invasive force and, and infects all of our, our policy in so many different ways. Um, so, but it was kind of disappointing uh, in the end because I just, you know, I, I would think that, hey, maybe recruiting kids is a bad idea. But the thing is, what, what the grim realization was, oh no, they're gearing up to start shifting the the Overton window on this issue. They want to start recruiting younger and younger. So I think that's what people need to understand going uh, going further. Like the fact that they're doing this isn't the end. This is just the start. They're going to start recruiting kids younger and younger. They're going to start shifting that window and making it more and more normal to have recruiters maybe in middle schools and then in elementary schools. I had literally had the fucking baseball crank in my mention saying that it would be fine if a military recruiter was in a kindergarten class because, <laughs> hey, career days, firefighters come, they're in danger too. That's a career, yeah. It's fucking insane. So, oh, boy. I, I, you know, I'm floored with how fast that issue moved. But now the the Navy has resumed streaming, and every time they fucking stream on Twitch, um, there's a there are people just flooding the chat with mentions of of military misconduct <laughs> around the world, which is incredible. Well, that's funny. Very. Yeah, and I saw clips from the day. It's like, oh no, we're totally not recruiting, bro. But like, it would be it would be lit if you found out more information about the army at this website <laughs> yeah, right, and stuff. Right. <laughs> it's like we're not recruiters, but like, hey, if you're thinking about joining the Navy, go to navy.com, bro. Yeah. That's recruiting. That is recruiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what what bullshit reasons were Democrats giving for not supporting this? I mean, this should be like a no brainer. It's like, do you want the mil- like? No, the military should not be recruiting to teenagers and playing video games online. Like that should, seems to me to be like something that should not be uh, controversial. So, with the Democrats that that came down against this. What were their reasons for doing this? Like, what were they like? What what possible excuse they have for for not supporting this? So I think it's a mix of a bunch of different issues, right? The biggest issue is just tech literacy and the lack thereof. Most people in Congress, and you, I would imagine many listeners saw AOC's tweet that was like, "Imagine trying to explain to your colleagues who are members of Congress what Twitch is." Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. A lot of yeah. people don't know what that is. And probably just thought this was the military doing recruiting ads online and stuff like that. There was a ton of just it seemed like a ton of people did not get the issue. There was another element of it. And I know at least one outspoken critic. um, I can't say I, I can't say much more, but I know one specific younger member of Congress honestly thought when they were talking to the media and slamming this thing, thought that this was about recruiters in schools. So I think it was a mix yeah. of people didn't know which amendment they were voting for and that kind of stuff, which is just like, you know, a common problem in Congress because there's so much happening and they're not reading anything. Um, and another is just that the military industrial complex is is really powerful and people yeah. just aren't going to, to go against it, even if that means killing an amendment that would have possibly, if had it made it into the final bill and gotten passed, possibly <laughs> protected kids from being recruited. It's pretty grim, but this is, I mean, and we are unique. I'm sure, even I'm sure as like a Canadian, you probably see the difference. We are very unique in that we lag behind the rest of the world in protections for kids from military recruitment. Like you yeah. don't have recruiters in your schools. Uh, I have, I have never had anyone try and recruit me. You know, that when I was in high school, no, I never saw anything like that. 
It's so bizarre. Yeah, well, there's like an international convention, like the international rights of the child. Yeah, no, I hear I hear stories about like recruiters in America being like, hey, you know, there's that like meme, like, hey, bro, I can't believe you're 17. <laughs> you're like, so mature for your oh, age. Oh, you look so you look so much older and stuff. <laughs> like that that is creepy to me. I, like that's the kind of thing that is bizarre to me when I think about that happening on like high school campuses and stuff like that. Yep. Yep. To say nothing of online on Twitch with thirteen year olds playing uh, Call of Duty. They just I, I think it's just people. It's a mix of those three things, but people just largely don't have an idea of what's happening. And they a lot. Some of them probably just saw it's AOC. I don't want to be linked to her. Yep. Hey, it's, some of the votes too were really weird. Um, <laughs> uh, several members of the Congressional Progressive the, the Caucus, the posting congressman Ted oh, Ted Lieu. Yeah, he's right? a, I, fi- well, people finally recognize <laughs> what a fraud this guy is. But yeah, he <laughs> voted against it. Um, Several other like quote progressives voted against it. People in the progressive caucus voted against it. Steny Hoyer obviously voted against it. Um, the funniest one to me, and I know this might, I don't, I can't imagine we have many of these people in our audience. Tulsi voted against it. And like the Tulsi stands when I pointed that yes. in a list of other people who had voted against it. What probably the most unhinged fan base behind the Kamala stands, but like, th- she voted against it, and it's just so bizarre to me because she's supposed to be yeah. like the anti-war. I thought she was like, like an anti-imperialist. That's what I was yeah. told online by certain uh, people that have deluded themselves into thinking certain Unreal. things. Yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> Her worldview yeah. is very confusing. Yes, who knows? Who knows what's going on with that? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it was like it was it was very cool to see the fact that you know you you started this conversation or helped start it. You know, obviously others were involved to sure. see that be debated on the floor of the house. It's disappointing that. That's how it turned out. But as you mentioned, like, even though the military is still on Twitch recruiting teenagers, which is fucked up, at least there's lots of people now uh, carrying on the, the fight of talking about war crimes and their menchies. And that's something they're probably going to have to be contending with now for as long as they're continuing to do this. So at least, you you know, that's something that that is positive that we can take away from this. Yeah. Like I said, there's people in their chat now every time pushing back against this bullshit. Like they're pointing at their asking them repeatedly about recruiting <laughs> tactics and that pointing out that these people are, are part of an overall recruiting effort. Um, talking yeah. about war crimes, talking about military misconduct, talking about the consequences of serving that they don't mention. Um, so it's people are way more aware now that this is happening. And now anti-war groups and uh, counter recruiters who didn't even know this was happening are now fully aware and are like ready to tackle this head on war resistors league, just foreign policy code pink, just to name a few were helped a lot over the past week. They're, they're gung ho where I'm going to be talking to them going forward about how we can all work together on this issue. So that sucks, Great. but this is just the start. Good. Well, it's a pretty crazy story. It's been, it's been very, very interesting for me to see this develop over the last couple of weeks. Um, do you just want to introduce our guest? We got to introduce our guest coming on in a couple totally. minutes. Yeah. Uh, John Idarola of the damage report, uh, on TYT. Good friend. Uh, love going on John's show. Uh, he joined us to talk about, uh, a bunch of light topics like, uh, yeah. the looming economic crisis, the, the looming, uh, eviction crisis, the <laughs> Kennedy Markey race, uh, just kind of the overall state of affairs in America. John's got a unique perspective. I like John that he's not like super online, super cynical, but like plugged in enough to kind of get it. And he's got a good yeah. progressive, uh, outlook. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've actually never been invited on his show that probably some kind of oversight. I, I have been having some like, Seems like a smart editorial decision, server issues. 
probably it probably is uh but we had a great conversation it was really good um yeah he's just he's gonna join the show in just a little bit but i guess it's been a couple weeks so we might as well go to another edition of feedback corner Okay, it's everyone's favorite segment, including me, especially me. I love it. I love to do it. And it's Feedback <laughs> Corner when we uh, we go over some of the reviews we've been getting online, and there's a there's a bunch to get into. We don't even have time to get into every single one, but there's there's no shortage of uh, of of reviews, many of which I find quite disrespectful. Uh, they're often making fun of us. They're make, getting basic facts about the show wrong, despite me repeatedly saying that I I wish we would stop doing that, and I'm I'm not a fan of it doesn't hasn't seemed to slow it down at all so there's no shortage of those that we can get into this week hooray i love it (laughs) okay let's go do you want to do you want to get us do you want to kick us off here find it's fine review let's just like get this going here so we can get to okay get to john uh this one's called two of the three hosts are good uh (laughs) oh boy i used to be a fan of this program especially the main host kenny clon westphalen but i'm afraid i have to stop listening after occasional (laughs) guest host jorgen disrespected our e-troops these are the men and women who are on the front lines every day winning the hearts and minds of eighth graders (laughs) very disappointed in jorgen (laughs) rob is pretty cool though all right um oh okay I mean, it was five star review, but I mean, I that's think actually not I th- that bad. That one, I like that. You like that one? Yeah, actually, I, okay. as much as I complained, that was actually that that did work for me. Pretty I good stuff. I just couldn't help, but yeah, I mean, I just couldn't help but notice that. But they got Ken's name wrong and my name wrong. Yeah, <laughs> called you Jorgen with a G there in the middle. Jorgen, and he also uh, called me an occasional guest host, which I. Yeah, that's that's not correct. I don't think that's that's my yeah. That's unfortunate. No, no. but I mean they can't get every single fact okay. right. I mean, you, you, I don't know why you have these incredibly high expectations for everyone. That's that, that's what I'm trying to like work through <laughs> with my therapist. It's just like <laughs> okay. Here's here's another review. The title of the review is the detergents. <laughs> oh, <Ooh>. Well, <laughs> just trying to say these names is getting so ridiculous. Rick. Riordan and Jordan Poole make a great duo. Rick has seamlessly transitioned from writing children's mythological fiction to becoming a political analyst. <laughs> and Poole has three-point range and astute political commentary. Keep up the great work. Job and Rorden. Okay. So I'm not I, I do not know what that's a reference to. Um <laughs> children's mythological fiction i don't even I know the, the names are so screwed up that i don't even know who that's supposed to be addressed to so i think it's a deep cut that's like it's like a reference to ken but ken being a krasenstein <laughs> is that it and then just wow. like conflating that with you because <laughs> so, that's kind of that's kind of funny. That, that is a deep cut oh boy so not not a, not a huge fan of that one. Uh, you got you got something else here for us? Uh, yeah. This one's called "Great Show." The Insurgents is a great show, 
hosted by Robin and Johanna. <laughs> they occasionally have a girl named Kendall on who is quite odd, but sometimes kind of funny. They keep banning Kendall from the show, but she keeps evading her ban from the show. Robin and Johanna need to increase their security measures ASAP. Hire more women police officers to keep Kendall out. I actually agree with that last part. The, f- the names are obviously wrong. I thought that was good. There's some there's some ideas in there that we should consider, though, I think. Regardless sure. of the different facts that are that are wrong about uh, about the show and who we are and what our names are and everything. So, so okay, so this this review is kind of topical here. The title of this review is Stop Whining Rob with a Crying Emoji. It says, The only reason I'm giving five stars is because I'm tired of Rob complaining like a safe space libtard and hoping if there are enough five-star reviews like you're begging for, maybe you guys cut the quote-unquote feedback corner bit, which is like listening to a Canadian complain about Americans not having manners. Is this supposed to be funny? I rather listen to ramblings about Fortnite and I don't even game once Rob wipes his tears about how mean the online people are and there's another crying emoji and they get to the main course. Like that. The discourse is typically very good and on challenging, less covered topics all coming from the correct place of resistance rather than the manufactured one that doesn't care slash understand why Trump happened rather than stopping the bad orange man so they can go back to sleep in their depressing PMC job with great 401k plan and two-week vacation so they can save that money to buy a Tesla and become vegan in order to bring that change <laughs> to the world while never really changing anything. So oddly specific. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> odd. And I actually had a hard time understanding whether this person was like really genuinely trying to hurt my feelings or doing a bit where they're pretending to want to hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm not sure. Sometimes the line between those two things, it gets a little blurred, so it's it's kind of hard to say. But great. Great stuff. I mean, I, I would like to see this person have a podcast where they have reviews and they have people consistently like bullying them and roasting them and, and screwing up their names, just not talking about what the show is or what who's guests on it or who's on it. I mean, I guess it must be, it seems like this stuff is easy to you, the, the listener, the reviewer, but you know, it, uh, it doesn't feel good. I don't enjoy it. So I'm, you know, it's my podcast. So I'm going to talk about it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <sighs> anyway whatever okay so let's just do a couple more and then we're gonna move uh, on from this sure this one's called favorite podcast this pod is my favorite to listen to it is an honest dialogue between working class individuals not snobby insiders like other pods y'all know who is this is i love the beginning bit jordan and rob do because it emulates much of what my friends and i do to cope with the ridiculous state of our political climate the show has many different dynamics, from the beginning of interviews discussing non-political topics before diving into the main part of the interview. The show is straightforward with its political discussions and doesn't have their own ideas and beliefs cloud the conversation. I just hope the guys can find a way to finally forgive K star N. I don't think I know who she... Oh, I think... Oh, for what he did. I think I know who, yeah, who yeah, she's I referring to. Yeah, I think I have an idea. We can, and then in parentheses... Yeah. We can kind of infer, you yeah. know, he knows what he did is in parentheses. Yeah. Okay. Finally, I would love to see a Q and a episode perhaps live on Twitch. Now, thank you, Brenda. I just want to point out that the beginning is when we're serious. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the show is when we're joking. Yeah. People need to internalize that more. It's like we're after the first five minutes, uh-huh. all satire. So it's kind of odd that they didn't get that. 
I think I feel like most people that listen understand that they know how we how passionate we are Maybe about we should all put these a things. Disclaimer? Yeah, we probably should. Like in the logo, yeah, I think so. Okay, so this is the final review for this week, and the review title is a serious review. Uh, it says Canadian Rob Rousseau and American Jordan Ewell are the insurgents. They're a blend of comedy and serious political discourse from a leftist perspective. They have several successful and humorous running bits, including the banning of very good journalist and IRL friend of the pod Ken Klippenstein. And reading podcast reviews that frequently get almost all details of the sh- podcast wrong. This was a serious review. Now, <laughs> I am disgusted with this review, okay? Because the idea suggesting <laughs> that the banning of quote-unquote very good journalist and IRL friend of the pod, Ken Klippenstein, okay, that's not a bit, okay? And it's offensive to me and to Jordan, I think, that you'd suggest that we're not serious about uh-huh. that. Ken knows what he did. He knows why the, everyone knows that with the ban is is very real and serious, and I think it was very disrespectful of this person to do this review where they they claimed that this was a bit, and I'm I'm not happy with this one either, frankly. Well, yeah. Do you have anything to add to that one? I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah, it was. I I did, I did breaking kayfabe here. I did appreciate getting getting one serious review. It was nice. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah, it. was it. nice. Um, but uh, that's the end of Feedback Corner. Uh, thanks for everyone who continues to to write in and review the show. Um, regardless of any bits or ongoing running gags we have here, we always do appreciate when people re- take the time to review the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, and before we get to our interview with uh, John Iderola, um, just remind you all that you, if you're not subscribed or on Substack, you should subscribe at uh, theinsurgents.substack.com. We've been talking about it for a while. We are just about to start producing bonus content of the show. Uh, so if you subscribe there, you're going to have access to a couple of additional episodes per month, starting within the next couple of weeks. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, that's where you do that. We also mentioned last week our kind of a Substack uh, collaborative project we've got going on, uh, Discontents with uh, Derek Davidson and uh, Gabby Del Valle and a whole host of other really terrific journalists and podcasters and, and newsletters. Uh, really, really cool stuff that we're, re- we're really excited about that. So that's another place you can subscribe at discontents.substack.com. You can also uh, leave us a voicemail, which you can find in the show notes. There's a, you know, you can reach us online. You can find us on Twitter individually. We always love uh, when people reach out and, uh, and joking around and, and interacting with all of you. So please uh, continue to hit us up through all these different different avenues and uh, i think that's everything that's all the housekeeping that's everything i wanted to get to but uh yeah so that's it and john iadarola will be joining the program right after this John uh, I had a role of TYT. We are uh, you're joining us today, and, and we we like to open the show with a little bit of small talk about gaming. And I know you nice. are you are a gamer, but also the back. So since you've been doing the damage report, your show with the Young Turks, since you've been doing your show at home, you have a pretty unique backdrop <laughs> that really puts your your love of gaming on full display. You have probably more than I think anybody in our generation or age bracket you have more 
board games than anybody I know. Um, all right, so one do, of those could guys. you give us like a brief overview? Yeah, have you, yeah, right. How do you, do those? What are those? Are those like for the new console or what? Uh, yeah, no. You well, you need um an emulator basically to get them up to date. But <laughs> got it, got uh, it, if you want to play it. the classics, really, no. Um, it's yeah, I, I it's like my main hobby, really. Like I've got an online group that I play with now during the pandemic. You know, I used to go down and um, I had some friends in Escondido that had these big meetups and I go to conventions. And um, basically for anyone who doesn't know about modern board games, uh, thinking that board games are just like sorry and Monopoly or Boggle or whatever is like thinking that video games are still Super Mario 1 and not knowing about the rise of esports and Twitch streaming and like, you know, vast (laughs) open worlds and, you know, harsh narrative choices and stuff like that. It's just it's a very evolved thing. Thousands of new games come out every year. Obviously, I buy a very small percentage of those, but it's like my main hobby, actually. So what's the latest kind of like, uh, what's the latest uh, board game that you're really into right now? And what's what's the deal with it? How did that? Uh, well, there's two. One that I have, and one that I'm looking forward to. One is uh, called Marvel United. It had a big Kickstarter, raised millions of dollars, and it's a cooperative game where you all play as one of the Marvel heroes, and you go up against uh, one of the villains. And it's got these awesome minis that I'm looking forward to painting, and each of the heroes feels different. So that's a cool little cooperative thing for like families and stuff like that. Um, one game that's coming out in the near future is called Jaws of the Lion. Um, the it's sort of like a, a standalone expansion for a game called Gloomhaven that is rated on like the biggest board game site is the greatest board game of all time. It's this massive open world RPG where you have a character that develops over time, like not just inside of each game. I mean, like between games, it has a campaign that you you could play dozens and dozens of sessions of this game and you make permanent changes to the world by adding stickers to these maps. You unlock achievements. Uh, it's just this it's like as close to a video game as something made out of cardboard and paper could be. And that's pretty awesome. Whoa. Cool. I had no idea that existed. Yeah. But that, that does sound unironically. Un- that sounds really cool. Um, I'm kind of jealous that you are deep. In, like I've never gotten into board games. So two things I've always wanted to do, but I've never been able to just not having the time or people who wanted to do it as well as I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I was just going to say, because this sounds a lot like it has elements ever. of that role, like Dungeons and Dragons style game, but just with yeah. a different kind of a feel. I've never done it, but I, I've yeah, always wanted too. to. Well, you totally should. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have. And, and it's, you know, this is a great time for it, by the way, yeah. because it, there's a lot of ways to do it during the pandemic. But yeah, th- this sort of game like Gloomhaven is sort of there's a lot of games that are coined like narrative campaign dungeon crawlers. They're supposed to be kind of a little bit like playing Dungeons and Dragons, but without needing someone to be your dungeon master and to put the story together to have a game that sort of runs itself and everyone can just play and have that RPG oh, okay. experience. Gotcha. Well, that's a whole level of like yeah, geekiness cool. that I wasn't even really, really aware that it existed, <laughs> but I support you and it sounds, it does sound pretty <laughs> Thank cool. You. Thank you. Uh, but I know you guys love video games. I play those too. I think they're great. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. What have you been playing? Me? Yeah. Uh, lately, not much for the past few weeks. Um, I, I finished Last of Us 2. Um, oh boy. And really enjoyed that. That was. I have a support group you can join if you want to. If you need to talk about your yeah. feelings about that in any way, or it your... affected oh, me. Yeah. Like I've, I very rarely had a time where in a game I'm like, I know that a character is going to do something, and I just don't. Yeah. I just don't want them to do it. Just don't do this thing that I know <laughs> yeah. you're going to do. Like, and I love. I like GTA Five and you know Red Dead Redemption. These big narrative games that are awesome. And I think Red Dead Redemption Two is one of my favorite games of all time. But like this just had. It's not like the gameplay was that amazing. It was fine. 
but the story man that's something yeah well i think that's one of like the complaints i saw about the last of us but to me that's one of the things that makes it interesting because people said you you should be able to choose and you should have more input into the story but that's not really the point the point is that the characters in these games make these really uh horrible sometimes choices and you have to live with them just like they have to live with the the consequences of those decisions like you're you're not yeah. able to get around these 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 things cuz you're you're inhabiting these very specific characters making these very specific choices and no matter what the consequences are you have to go through it with them you know you have no choice exactly yeah 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 i mean like you know people love things like mass effect where you get to choose between two very different options that have consequences but at the end of the day you still got to go to space like you only have so much control in these things uh in red dead redemption i gotta be a bandit cowboy (laughs) like but you have this amazing emotional experience and i love that games are doing that that they can be producing these stories with characters that rival you know anything on tv even in this golden age like red, the fact that we had red dead redemption 2 the fact that we had last of us 2 i mean i'm hoping for cyberpunk a little bit later this year like at some point people are going to have to recognize that games are every bit as complex and nuanced uh, a format uh, you know um as movies books and that sort of thing yeah. So we were joking about it before about how Jordan's been been very subtly trying to shift this into a gaming podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we are we, we might have to eventually do it because uh, we were talking about doing okay. bonus episodes. Maybe we should make our maybe we should do a, a bonus gaming episode each month or something. There oh, you go. let's do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um. So, so John, uh, you you host a show on TYT. It's called the Damage Report. It is uh, you know, every day at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific, um, or 10 a.m. Forget it. It's, uh, it's uh, one uh, a- 10, 10 a.m. Pacific, one, of those times. 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern, <laughs> yes, every day, yeah, every yeah. weekday. I don't worry about Pacific time. I'm just <laughs> yeah, it's not real. It's not real time, actually. You've, you've, no, you've only been on it 100 times, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Eastern time, that's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... I, I, I I love going on the show. I love talking to John. So we figured it was, you know, long overdue that you come on uh, on our show and talk. Thank you. Uh, we don't have quite the the rabid fan base that you have. Um, it's like every day the same people are in John's chat. <laughs> That's just something I've like. I've just I've just been so blown away by. Like the TYT army is incredible. Yes, they've been <laughs> awesome. awesome. Fiercely, fiercely loyal people, and like I get tweets about like them like love seeing my cat in the background mm-hmm. and shit, and it's just like, mm-hmm. how do you remember this like, weeks <laughs> later? Totally, yeah, yeah. They rem- they talk about your shirts that you wear and everything. No, yes, they're they're yes. devoted. Yes, they're, de- they're devoted. Yes. It's, awesome. it's it's incredible. So maybe one day our fans will be cool like that. They just like to write reviews and roast <laughs> us in the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see some, right. better, some better improved behavior actually from our our fan base to be honest they could maybe look maybe at your show for slight, for inspiration possibly you know who knows there you a go. slight shift away from cyber yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're gonna leave I mean, that I bit have in the to past. say though some of the blames gotta be on you guys the way you roast Ken Klippenstein constantly yeah, well, it is setting true. a bar he knows what he did though pass. so I mean yeah he does, he does he does yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the unfamiliar, what, what could you give a brief overview of the damage report, um, where people can find it, what you guys talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, I really see it as like there's two periods. There's as for everything, there's pre-pandemic and there's post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, <laughs> right. it was just supposed to be, as the name sort of implies, 
we knew that this is going to be a difficult period. You wake up, you're hit in the face with the news. Now let's process it together. And we're not going to shy away from the environmental damage that's being done, damage to, you know, uh, the relationships we have with other countries, you know, all of the different things that have been affected, the, the rule of law. Um, how substantive our democracy actually is. In fact, we're going to track those things during this difficult time. And, you know, if November goes the way I hope that it does, it'll be a different sort of difficult time that we'll be waking up for uh, for four years. But basically addressing those things and making sure that I introduce people to um, as many progressive ideas as possible, but also progressive, like the people who are involved in the movement, the activists, and especially the candidates. We've over the past couple of years, we've we've had on literally hundreds of candidates, including in this cycle, to try to make sure that people know that um, politics isn't supposed to be just about listening about things and talking about them. It's supposed to be about getting involved in organizations and getting people elected and actually pushing for real change. During the pandemic, (laughs) it's been a little bit different. Um, I've been, you know, on the ragged edge of my sanity, and I know a lot of other people have been too. Yeah, we know the So feeling. I've been trying yeah. to just, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just trying to provide sort of a place where people can go every morning and have some people that are good people that they can talk to and have a little bit of fun and make sure that people know what's going on during the election, up to date on as much information about coronavirus as possible. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what we've been doing. Yeah, it's it's a similar vibe over here. We, we we basically we wanted to start the show basically to talk about the election and um, mm-hmm. what I thought was going to be the Bernie versus Trump election, and obviously that's not what ended up happening, unfortunately. <laughs> and now even even the election that. itself has just taken a total backseat to all, everything else that's been going on in in the U.S. and internationally over the last uh, yeah. Two, it's like months, the election months, months doesn't so. really seem to matter much, but I also don't want it to because any news that could possibly come out from biden's side is not going to be news that i like anyway <laughs> yeah so it's been a weird one well i mean uh, the, to be honest the, i think the election is a place that i would like to to start to because that was some of the big news this week was trump sending a tweet kind of possibly laying the seeds of saying like oh should we postpone the election uh which had mm-hmm. a lot of people rightfully very concerned um, where do you guys come down on that? Because I mean, I kind of give my own take on this, but I'd be interested to see where you, what you guys thought about Trump's tweet and whether you think that's an actual thing that could happen or will happen. Like, what do you think, John? I mean, I, that sort of thing. Look, I I'm not the sort of person that thinks that we should just write off every comment he says as a distraction, or I should say as just a distraction, because it is all yeah. a distraction. But that doesn't mean it's just one. Um, you know, he said that we should slow down the testing, and a lot of people said, "Don't get so worked up about it. It's just a distraction." And then you know, our testing strategy has fallen apart. They've, the White House has tried to block additional testing for or fun, funding for testing. In terms of the election, like, do I think that the election is going to happen on November 3rd? I do. And I'm probably being naive. I know some people will probably think that I'm being naive. But that doesn't mean that I'm not worried. And it doesn't mean that I don't think that he's setting up to, you know, if there's a lot of mail-in of votes that are going to take a little bit longer to count, that he can sort of declare victory based on what's been reported on election day. I think that we are going to have an election that looks basically like past ones in the end, but I am worried, and I know that if he does decide to go beyond the law, that Fox News is not going to challenge him. 99% of elected Republicans aren't going to challenge him, so we should at least be prepared for that. Yeah, I, I it's... It's certainly like you have to at least be somewhat concerned about it that he even tweeted that out. Yeah. Like that's alarming on its face. But it's like, but it's also like, all right, 
like this is this is like a team of incompetent like lackeys who surround him like he's just like i would be more worried if he like has been appointing people from the military over the past like yeah couple years but no it's like it's like some doctor who was like microwaving tobacco uh in, in virginia and like just has a book and like that trump like for like a miracle cure for everything type like it's like those types of people you know it's yeah. like the, the the hangers on who will still advertise on fox news it's like it's 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 his like kind of like entertainment and TV worldview and like figures in that world. It's, that's like how he has been running his government and like appointing people. So if it was anyone other than them, that tweet would have been way more alarming. But it's still like 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 John said, it still is somewhat alarming because we might not have an election that's like that's standard. You know, we're not even just because of the, the pandemic, we're not going to have a normal election. And there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of fears around uh, mail-in ballots and what kind of like voter suppression tactics will be employed there. Um, yeah. And as, as far as it goes, it's like, you know, retaining power and holding on. Ken and I have talked about this a lot, like privately. It's just like he would need the he would need the military to do that. He does not have the military. But as Ken has written about extensively, he's been trying to turn the DHS into his own like militaristic yeah. force like we yes. saw with Bortac and that kind of stuff whether or not they'll be enough if he wanted to do that it remains to be seen I would be inclined to say no because they don't have like the same might um, but I also think it's just like people in the Republican Party are too power hungry it would be it would be easier if like they were just along for the ride Um but they also want to be president. You've got so yeah. many people waiting, like opportunistic people waiting in the wings who would easily throw them under the bus because they also want to be president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like you, John, I'm not someone that's just always, every time he says something on Twitter, oh, this is a distraction, this is a distraction. But he, there is an element of that. Like Trump, Trump is a huge dumbass. But one thing he's very smart at is manipulating the media. That's what he's been doing for his whole career, like for decades, right? He is very good at doing that. And he's 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 understands that he can use Twitter to kind of change the conversation like that. Um, That said, uh, you know, it seems to me more like he's, he's laying the groundwork to be able to dispute the legitimacy of the election. And I think personally, I think that has more to do with the fact that they're kind of looking at where the polling is going and they don't feel very good about it. And he wants a way to like lose while still claiming victory. Um, which would allow yeah. him to just like go and do the thing what he was always wanted to do, which is just go on TV all the time and complain about everything while not actually being responsible for like hard a hard job that like affects millions of people's lives and have everyone always be mad at him and making fun of him and everything. Um, mm-hmm. but, but although it is true, like what you two have said, uh, there is active voter suppression going on. Uh, as much as the polling is kind of indicating that it's not looking good for Trump. Um, he is like the Republican party is like spearheading the, the charge to like purposely defund the postal service, which is an election that is going to require a lot of voting by mail. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's obviously going to be a problem. Uh, there's this large potentially like catastrophic mass eviction crisis happening in which you do need an address in order to vote. Uh, so there, there is active voter suppression going on. So yeah, I think, I think there is a chance still that, you know, uh, he could win this election. Everyone that's getting very overconfident about this already, I think, is like really need to have their heads examined because of what you know, what happened in 2016, and no one should take that lightly. 
but yeah. I do. I don't. I don't think that he would go as far as to like try to install himself president for life or whatever, or try to do some real coup shit. Because I, I you know, I like you guys are pointing out. I, th- I think I don't think it would work out. And I think he more just wants an excuse to to leave and then still claim that he should. Be, he's the rightful president. Yeah, I definitely. I don't think. I don't expect to see tanks surrounding the White House in either yeah. direction. Although nothing would surprise um, me at I, this point. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yes, exactly. We've been blindsided by a lot. I thought 150,000 people dying would get through to people, and clearly that's not enough. Um, maybe a million. Maybe we'll find out. Yeah. But, um, but you know, is there the possibility that if he felt like he was winning on Election Day and he was really worried about other votes that might come in, he would you know, file some sort of suit and try to drive it up to the Supreme Court, which is even more, far more conservative than the Supreme Court that effectively threw the 2000 election. Like that's, that's not in the land of crazy Trump times, you know, um, hypothesizing that already happened. The Supreme Court already stepped in and influenced the outcome of the election. So I am a little bit worried about that, considering some of the other things his justices have gotten up to over the past couple of years. I wonder if Roberts has thought about that. Not that I see Roberts as some like amazing mm-hmm. like stalwart protector of the Constitution, but just like he's made comments before about attacks on the judiciary and specifically individual justices. I can't imagine he's just completely like ignoring this possibility, you know. Yeah. And I wonder. I, I'm, I'm. I am curious. Like, what if anything he has thought or said to other justices, about, and like, is this something they're considering and thinking about? Because like, surely they see. Like the the it at least in a judiciary path, like the foundation is being laid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are we going to have to rely on Roberts to save the American experiment? Oh, dude, like, and you... do you want that to be the case? <laughs> the fucking reactions are going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. The case. No, I'm. Like, that's the thing. Like, and I know you guys are probably feeling the same thing. It's like, what's the next big piece of news that's going to come out in the election? It's like, what will his VP pick be? Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm dreading that news day because yeah. it's going to be awful. I don't want the convention. I don't want his speech. I don't want the debates. Certainly, <laughs> the run up to the election is going to be absolute hell. We'll probably go to war with Iran, and I don't want the you know one to seven days it'll take after the election for us to find out who actually won. All of that is going to be hell, and my beard is already turning white at a steady clip. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, uh, like. I think it's the kind of thing that in order, like, it really does need to be a decisive thing to ensure that it's, like, something that, that doesn't turn into this, like, long, paralyzing and terrible process. And uh, as as overconfident as people were getting, like, I feel like, considering the fact that Trump is overseeing this multiple massive disasters right now, it shouldn't even be as close as it is. Um, yeah. And if and if it comes totally. down to a Bush v. Gore thing, then yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a problem, and that's gonna drag on for a long time. And uh, it, you know, it's easy to see how that could end up uh, giving the election to uh, to Trump again. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If only there were other yeah, options he, than Joe Biden, but apparently that was the guy that uh, oh, he was. Man, it really did feel like though. It really <laughs> felt. I did a video um, of a of a Sanders appearance. He gave a rally speech, and as he stepped onto the stage, he was like overwhelmed by the applause, like standing ovation that lasted for a couple of minutes, and you could see on his face because he had already won a couple contests. He was doing so well, and I did a video saying like. I feel like Bernie is getting that he's going to win this thing. And now I think back and I feel so terrible. We were very overconfident how... as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not like it, not, you know, not a year ago, but at one point it really did feel like yeah. they, they, if they're going to stop him, it didn't feel like it was going to be Biden in the end that did it. 
No, oh, no. God, after after year. New Hampshire, I thought Biden was for sure finished. I thought so. And too. Uh, well, we'll never know now what's gonna, what's going to happen. But it, yeah. <sighs> and well, that's one. But people say too now to say that you know even though there's this pandemic going on and all of Bernie's policies would be so vital for millions and millions of people right now, whether we're talking the economic policies or Medicare for all or any of these things. But people say like, well, you know, the voters just selected Biden, and like that's the end of the story. But without without talking about the way that the the establishment very clearly uh, conspired behind the scenes to all consolidate behind Biden, the massive like yeah. media deficit he was facing, and the constant stream of disinformation and and bad news cycles, regardless of how well he was doing, um, there was a lot. The deck was really stacked against him to the point that the, the, the that he was. Ex- as successful as he was is actually kind of an incredible achievement. Uh, so when people that's point true. out like, Oh, well he lost and that's just the end of it. It's like, well, it's, you're not really telling the whole story. Uh, <laughs> you're not really telling the whole story there. Yeah. Well, and the issue is the same people that did that conspiring and framing him in the media and calling his followers, not only Bernie bros, but also digital Brown shirts and all of that. They don't want a critical analysis of that period because they look forward to using the same tactics against AOC yes. and, you know, God knows how many other candidates. Well, John, I mean, you're the you're the seasoned media professional. That's actually a great segue into something else that we wanted to talk about, which is the uh, the Joe Kennedy race uh, against Ed Markey, oh. and how they're they're going to that exact playbook, um, which is kind of remarkable, uh, and how that you know there was that debate between them a few days ago, and that was like the first question of the debate was about the mean the mean Markey Bros. Um, you oh know, harassing people. Yeah, the Markey Marauders. Um, and you realize now that now that they're, they've had success with this kind of narrative against Bernie, you know, you know it's just going to be every single candidate to the left. It, this is what it's going to always be. Uh, this kind of an, this kind of disingenuous uh, argument. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, look if if they can do it to Bernie, if they can do it to Markey, on like Markey, really? <laughs> the thing is, like, I want Markey to destroy Kennedy for a lot of reasons that I'm sure you guys have gone over any number of different times. But the thing is, like, it's Markey. Like, Markey, way better than Kennedy. Markey, better than a lot of Senate Democrats. And, you know, I, I love that he's gotten so behind, um, you know, the Green New Deal. And, and he's been pretty good for the past couple of years. But it's not like, it's not like he's a DSA member. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he's Bernie's nephew. Yeah. Like, he's, he, he, didn't he vote for the Iraq War? Like, he's done, yeah. he's had lots of bad votes. But his just his willingness to actually acknowledge the science on climate change and act accordingly makes him head and shoulders above any of these other insane, slimy centrists like Kennedy. What what a pointless, stupid waste of money this rate race is. What a stupid candidacy it is. Does anybody know why he's running? Has he given any sort of rationale on why Kennedy needed to be primaried? This isn't, you know, an AOC versus Crowley or a Bowman or anything like that. It is just, I live here, and you know what? Honestly, I don't want to wait a few more years, so I guess you're going down, Marky. That's all this is. Yep, yep. It's, it's, he, he's tried to frame around like, oh, we need young, yeah. new leadership. New blood. But like, all the young voters <laughs> like Marky. It's like exactly. The, it's like the same type of shit as, the exact as Pete. Same thing, like, yeah. We need fresh ideas in Washington, and then all the younger voters hated him. And mm-hmm. the, the, it just, it's, uh, the, the thing that frustrated me, I, it's not as big of a deal here i mean it didn't really register outside of i think people who just been closely following that race but the the debate where they asked marky about and they had that conversation around like cyber bullying on the campaign which i think 
that's stupid. And it was stupid when they did it to Bernie and like all like the sensationalized media coverage of like the, the, the emojis and shit at other candidates. But I think that's until we have like a reconciliation and a better understanding of how social media is going to be employed in elections going forward, we're going to see these types of tropes trotted out. And it's just like, we are so unprepared uh, for that because like, anybody can say anything online and it's not reflective uh, of a candidate. Well, and there's a huge yeah. double standard. Like you've seen the k Hivers, the k Hivers, some of the most toxic, awful people online who dox people and use all kinds of terrible language and threaten people. And this is never talked about in the media. No one's ever asked Kamala Harris to you. Will you disavow your toxic online supporters? Because they're not, they don't actually care. The people that turn this into this big political issue, they only really care about using this to weaponize against one specific political movement and one one group of people. Um, but again, it's just what can you do to <laughs> to influence that? Because it doesn't seem they, people don't seem to acknowledge the fact that there's this massive double standard there. It is so fundamentally disingenuous. It's it's disingenuous to imply that there is actually the gap they imply because as we've seen, we, I'm, you you talk about how much you like Bernie, you're going to attack by. Hillary Clinton fans sure. back a few years ago, you know, the, the Buddha bros might get you. But um, but even then, let's say that there was something bad out there. Candidates can't control it. They just can't. So it, it is literally pointless to attack a candidate that can't do anything about it, that is literally asked for it to stop, has not encouraged <laughs> it in any way. It's yeah. just such utter nonsense. And think about the 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 inequity and the power here where some anonymous people who might or might not be humans saying things on Twitter, massive problem that should derail multiple presidential candidates, but having your surrogates, some named, some not, go on MSNBC and talk about how, you know, they think that you're creepy and things <laughs> like that, and they call you digital brown shirts. All of that is totally fine yeah. when that's broadcast to literally millions of people simultaneously. Yeah. So it... it it brings up kind of a larger conversation that I was kind of thinking about this week. Um, and the, the Kennedy thing is a big example of it. We were talking about the Sanders campaign, which is like this weaponization of of woke language. So I have a couple examples of this. We were, t- we were talking about Kennedy. Recently, you saw um, the Seattle PD was tweeting about this, like when uh, regarding these protests. They had a tweet kind of saying, well, defunding the police means these BIPOC officers are going to lose their jobs. And you like, do you care about people of color working for the police department? <sighs> Stuff like that. You saw it in the UK against Jeremy Corbyn with this whole uh, anti-Semitism campaign that became this massive crisis in the media that was, in my opinion, extremely overblown and basically used to uh, to damage a, a very popular left-wing uh, movement. You saw it in the Sanders campaign is accused of misogyny and and being like a thing, a movement for white bros, completely erasing all the people, the young people of color and immigrants that that supported him so uh, so passionately. Um, you, so this is this is the way that like liberals uh, weaponize this kind of language, like identity politics and woke language. You also see it from the right too. You see like uh, Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro. There are people that that complain about identity politics and and complain about it and claim to be against it, but they'll immediately hide behind their own identities if they're accused of like bigotry or racism mm-hmm. or like you know Ben Shapiro. How could I influence white supremacists? You know because of my my identity. They'll immediately use this kind of language. So. Um, yeah, it's one thing that I, I think it's important to be aware of this kind of stuff uh, because I do think it is it this kind of stuff really is employed cynically um, and and specifically to crush left wing movements. It happens from the liberal side, from the right, and I think we need to be aware of this. And it's interesting because 
it's created this kind of schism in the online left about uh, over identity politics. And I think some people have responded to that in a way that's like, well, no, I'm against like what I just described. I'm against that. So I'm going to kind of use racist language, ironically, or sexist language, or kind of push those kind of boundaries. And like, I'm, I am, I don't agree with that. And, uh, you know, I think if we're on, if we're talking about the left, that means we're, we're anti-racist, we're anti-sexist, we support trans rights and we do support immigrant rights and all these different marginalized groups, 100%. But I do think we all need to be really aware of how these different identities are being like cynically weaponized uh, by liberals and mm-hmm. conservatives. And when we talk about being against identity politics or, or talking about identity politics in, the, in a critical way like this, that's what we're talking about. We're not we're not giving an inch on the actual rights of these marginalized groups, but we do need to be hyper aware of the, when these when these kind of cynical tactics are being employed. So we can kind of uh, deal with that in our discourse and and confront that and and not let it derail these big popular movements. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, look, one overall strategy is you just you have to as you like. It would be great if everyone was just operating in good faith. Imagine the world. Yeah, how that, that, would, that would be, be nice. Um, but they no, don't. No. <laughs> so you have to, you know, you have to figure out who you think you can trust and who is just in this, you know, to clout chase or get Patreon subscribers and stuff like that. I, I like to think that I've accrued a, a circle of people that i bring on my show that i believe are being honest and genuine you know we we, we lost a great one a couple weeks back with michael yes. brooks um and so you have to know those people but also you have to understand that the battleground that we are fighting on uh is always going to change nothing is static and that certainly goes for words as well um political language online a term has a meaning for I don't know, with Twitter, maybe a couple weeks and then it gets taken over and it it gradually is changed into something else. I mean, look at fake news, what that originally meant and what it is turned into. What does identity politics mean? Honestly, it depends on who you're talking to and what objective they have. Um, You know, what what is cancel culture and how is it different than political correctness? Really depends on who you talk to. And that is because these words, once they're released into the wild, will be taken over by people that inevitably will include those that are intellectually dishonest and not operating in good faith. And it is utterly depressing and it is a mental grind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh. Well, I I do want to make a point about like some of the derailing the larger movements Um, and apologies if... uh, I, I missed. I had to mute for a second. I'm, I'm dealing with a, a maintenance issue at my point. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm trying, half my light bulbs are out for some reason, <laughs> but, <laughs> including like the fluorescent overhead light in my kitchen. It's very annoying because I'm like cooking in the dark now. <laughs> very, um, very goth. But, but, yeah, exactly. I, I should just embrace it. Um, I agree. The, 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 the Kennedy posturing around Green New Deal specifically. I think is so deeply disingenuous and, and and just purely evil because this is a guy who up until Sludge's reporting held one and a half million up to one and a half million in in shares of Exxon uh, Mobil uh, and Sh- I think Shell or one of the other oil companies and then like very quietly sold them once Sludge reported that mm-hmm. but has been trying to say in debates and most recently at a, at a talk at Harvard, which was where this got reported, um, that 
he was one of the original co-sponsors of the Green New Deal. Well, yeah, you're saying that about a guy who wrote it and introduced it. Yeah. Like, that's like if anyone should get credit for it, it's Marky and then AOC <laughs> in the House. But to like it's <laughs> this is like how deceptive that campaign is. That this guy who has been riding oil companies uh, on the stock market for personal gain is now trying to rebrand himself as the Green New Deal candidate. Absolutely baffling. Yeah, and I don't think yeah. it's a coincidence at all. I mean, you wondered, you know, why is Kennedy running in this race? Well, I think partially it's just a vanity thing because he thinks he deserves it. But frankly, I think part of it is that the Democratic establishment is is very specifically going after the 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 co write the writer and the co- first co sponsor of the Green New Deal. Um, yep. I think that I think it's to send a message. Um, you know, like uh, Biden specifically in this in this presidential campaign has been like against the Green New Deal. Um, and that was another thing that came out this week is like, you know, if you criticize the, the like shitty uh, so far platform that Biden is fighting for, people have pointed out like his great climate plan. But I have a hard time imagining why anyone would want to get excited about that when he specifically is not going far enough. He like is in the race specifically to ensure that that didn't happen. And then you have the actions of the Democratic Party establishment where they're primarying the, the original co-sponsor of it. Um, so I don't know why yeah. anyone would believe that regardless of what's in uh, Biden's climate plan, uh, which might be OK in some areas, it is not far enough. And I don't know why anyone would think that uh, Biden or the Democratic Party establishment is going to make it an actual priority to pass any of this stuff because nothing about the way they've acted uh, has indicated that they have much interest in, in like yeah. doing that. Well, and look, I, I hope that people who are watching this race, if they actually do care about climate change, and that's one of the things that's driving their political activity, and I think it definitely should be one of the main things that drives everyone's political activity, that they don't just look at the you know couple of scripted answers that people give in a debate, but that they look at the organizations that are on the ground fighting for this every day. Who are they siding with? And so, yeah. you know, if the, if the Sunrise Movement supports Markey over Kennedy. It isn't because they hate young people and they just they don't trust this young whippersnapper Kennedy. Like, that doesn't make any sense. They're not flipping a coin. They have actually talked to both of these candidates and they know that Markey, his money is where his mouth is, as opposed to Kennedy, where his money is where he thinks he's going to make money off of fossil fuels. Um, yeah, you have to actually actually watch their behavior, see how they're working with these organizations. Markey's been doing that for years and not just in the immediate run up. Uh, to an election that should matter and people should watch it. And I think you're totally right, by the way, about um, specific targeting of Markey. It's possible that Kennedy just was like, this is my time. I'm going no matter what. But I am 100 percent sure that he talked to the Democratic sure. Party, the, you know, the DSCC and things like that. And, you know, maybe maybe they didn't want him to primary him, but I have a feeling they were probably OK with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even his <laughs> on the Sunrise thing specifically in their debate this week, he dismissed Markey's endorsements from groups like and he mentioned Sunrise Movement and he's like well um, every other race they endorsed me and they only endorse <laughs> incumbents and I asked Sunrise I was like is this true and they're like no we never endorsed are you kidding me and then if you look at they were founded in 2017 so they're like a very new group mm-hmm. and they started endorsing in 2018 and you look at 2018 the people they endorse it's the squad it's Randy Bryce it's all outside yeah. challengers yeah. and they said going forward to even be endorsed like they endorsed uh, Marky to even be endorsed going forward as an incumbent you have to be remarkable you have to be so strong mm-hmm. On this issue, on on environment and how it intersects with so many facets of society, and they were just like scoffed at the notion, and then later made fun of him on social media for even suggesting that they only endorse incumbents or that they endorsed him in the past because it's like a bold faced lie. But this is just—it's how disingenuous Kennedy is operating in this race. 
<laughs> I mean, I hope it's I hope it's pretty obvious to people. But you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of incredibly recent polling. But the polling that I had seen, you know, a month or two back, implied that this is is definitely a race that Kennedy could win. If he does, we know we know you know exactly why he will. The couple of reasons that make it even a possibility for him to beat an incumbent like Markey. And if he does win, that is going to be depressing. And it might be depressing on a night that otherwise has some some good you know changes in Senate seats and things like that. But that could end up, or I guess we would have found out before that. But that could end up being a just you know an incredibly depressing and unnecessary turn of events. That as many people, I think the Intercept had an article about this in the past week that has already had twenty million dollars spent on it. That didn't need to be spent. It's a primary race that was not necessary. Yep. Yeah. Could, and could go so many other places. Yeah. And it's kind of part of a larger conversation, too, about because, uh, you know, I mentioned Biden's climate plan. People were, were touting that this week. But a, a lot of that was in response to the like committee that's putting out that's voting for proposals for the, the platform. And they very predictively uh, like voted down Medicare for all and these progressive policies that people were very excited about. Um, so people were very uh, obviously demoralized by that, even though it, I don't think it should be surprising to anybody because that's that was the whole purpose of this whole primary was the Democratic Party trying to intentionally trying to stop these things. The thing, too, that I have to complain about again, because I went on a rant about this a few weeks ago was legalizing marijuana, which they they, they made sure to, uh, to say is not going to be part of their platform, which is, again, is just so fucking dumb. I mean, it's just that it, it would be so popular, like you, young people are so disenchanted with this election. Uh, that would be a way to to get so many young people on board. Uh, it's very popular broadly, like among the electorate in the United States, even among conservatives. But it, like they're so wedded to this this ancient like dinosaur law and order vision for like what the what they should be doing, <laughs> uh, and Biden in particular, who's been his that's been his whole career as being that guy. Uh, that they can't even go do this one simple thing, and even in in a large moment, I mean, you're talking about you know there's a pandemic and they can't they can't, there's a pandemic where millions of people are losing their jobs and they can't divorce themselves from like the the archaic terrible exploitative uh, disgusting uh, healthcare system that you've got there. Uh, but then there's we're in this massive uprising over criminal justice and systemic racism. Well, one one way to really make a big impact on that would be legalizing marijuana and stop locking up people for for nonviolent drug crimes and expunging people people's records who have been in prison for decades over this shit and they can't even do that because they're so wedded to this this horrible old vision that's completely being passed by uh, by history uh and so that's mm-hmm. just like it no one should be surprised but it's it's really frustrating to see them just completely continue to strike out on on all this stuff yeah, including, like you pointed out, literally the easiest one. There's, there's, I think, probably nothing easier at this point than just supporting legalization of marijuana. Like, it's, it's, it, it, it was, it was like the majority position, what feels like more than a decade ago. It's already the law of the land in so many states, including the biggest state. It's, it's, God, it's so stupid. And, and the issue is that in, in, you know, the absence of federal legalization, even if you're lucky enough, like, like me to be in a state where it is legalized, um, it's unnecessarily constrained in a number of different ways because of the lack of federal legalization. If you're trying to, you know, open up a store and things like that, you know, as a story we all know, but it's just so stupid. And I have to imagine that for the platform committee, that this is a Biden thing. If it was, even if it was one of the other terrible centrists that it could have been, I think that they might have the right position on this. But Biden is a million. And, <laughs> you know, he grew up in a time when reefer madness was a thing, and he just doesn't seem to be able to get past that mentally. Yeah. I, I mean, I am saying this as someone who doesn't smoke, doesn't like smoking. I think people who are high are really <laughs> <not> annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it should just be legal. 
because not just because it's like I don't I don't know I don't necessarily think it's harmless but I also think that it's just the way it's used in the criminal justice system is yeah. to destroy people's lives and that's why it should be le- specifically people of color like that's literally why they enacted these yeah. drug laws in the first place was so they could lock up people of color on mass which they did and Biden of course had his, right. had his name all over that. And even to yeah. bring it back to Kennedy again, it's his opposition to legalization is because it's used to yes. uh, create Great. reasonable suspicion to search people's cars and to, to you know, to, to do other invasive police tactics that ultimately lead to probably baseless or frivolous charges and just, you know, get them bogged down in this fucking machine. But even I don't understand even from a business standpoint, if you're on the right, all the crops, all the subsidiary businesses around it. All the logistics and supplies and manufacturing, all of these new industries that could be built up around this cash crop, it's it's just so stupid. Just fucking tax like you do the lottery and have it go to schools or something if you have that guilty of a conscience. But like, I don't understand, even if you were like the most pro-business type of person, how do you still oppose this other than, like you said, this type of reefer madness, archaic worldview? I, I, <laughs> I, I guess... <laughs> it's uh, you know i, I like we to think know. that i can put i can play devil's advocate i can put myself out there in another person's <laughs> shoes i have some amount of empathy i have to imagine you're either you're receiving campaign donations from industries that don't want legalized marijuana you know anheuser bush and other you know big you know alcohol manufacturers things like that um or you're incredibly worried about turning off a specific sort of voter one of the last remaining blocks that still thinks that legalization is going to lead to the destruction of society um that's possible um, or again, it, it's the connection that, that you, you know, already pointed out the, the fact that it is, it's incredibly useful to some people in law enforcement to have that, um, as, you know, sort of the, the gateway drug towards other abuses, um, uh, that they want to per- perpetuate. Uh, yeah. So that was frustrating. But as I said, like, I, I don't think anyone should have been surprised by any of the, uh, those decisions that came down this week, considering that's what that whole primary was about, was specifically stopping uh, all these popular things that people are, are so passionate about. Um, so, okay, what's next? Uh, okay, so, John, another thing I wanted to ask you about was just, I mean, this is kind of a broad question, frankly, but where you're at right now, it, it really seems like in terms of the, the economic fallout of the pandemic and everything that's happened over the last five or six months or so really the the real real consequences are haven't even really happened yet and it seems like their america is kind of just about to walk off this cliff in terms of this unprecedented uh eviction crisis that's now happening over the next month it's just you know it's it's the beginning of the month right now there's millions and millions of people that need to pay their rent and are not able to no one has really moved enough or even at all to help these folks um so where are you on all that? What do you, what do you think is about to happen with, with all this stuff? I mean, it seems like it's completely John, do you uncharted. you think that's uh, good? You like this, um, Well, you know, there's, there's are you good against and bad. This? Yeah. Um, you know, urban <laughs> camping, I've always pushed for more of it. Yeah. No, it's, the, it's an absolute disaster that, um, you know, I think you, you implied this, could end up being more devastating economically at the very least than the, you know, the economic damage that we've had from the the early shutdowns you know nothing is going to compare to 150,000 plus people dying and a thousand more dying every single day and that not ending for what's probably going to be at least months if not longer um but yeah it's an absolute disaster and one of the most depressing things when you have a media platform you know even if it's a small one like mine is when you try to use it to get people 
to care about things that are not exciting. They're not sexy, but they are incredibly important. And, you know, they, they will be for some people life and death things. You know, for a long time, I've been fighting that battle with things like climate change, trying to get people excited about it. And it's very, very difficult. You know, getting people to care about things like the conflict in Yemen. It's very, very difficult. Like I can look at what videos get views and what don't. And it's depressing sometimes what, what actually gets people um, worked up and what doesn't. And the thing is, we've been doing stuff about the, the upcoming eviction and foreclosure crisis from fairly early on. There were some politicians like Ilhan Omar and AOC and a few others, you know, the sort of names you'd expect. They've been talking about this since the very beginning of the shutdowns. And just weeks have passed and months have passed and it hasn't been prioritized. And part of that is due to the fact that Trump doesn't want to spend a single dollar. And, you know, the, the Senate GOP are absolute ghouls. That's true. But it also hasn't been prioritized enough by the chamber where the Democrats uh, do control in the House. Yes, they have some legislation. That would be good. But they have to use, I don't know, use the media, use something, lock down the government, do something to make it happen. They're on a three-day weekend right now (laughs) while the enhanced unemployment benefit goes away while people have to pay for rent. The thing is, like, so restaurants have shut down. Okay, new ones will open eventually, hypothetically, when we're back up and running. There, there are some things that will sort of work themselves out. It is still for an individual. It is an absolute disaster. But for the working class Americans, they're never going to get the money they've lost from this economic no. damage that was caused through no fault of their own, in part because of the pandemic. Sure, nobody could have, you know, we, we didn't see it coming. We didn't prep, obviously, but we didn't see it coming. There were going to be some damage from the, the lockdowns. But we didn't necessarily have to lock down a second or a third time. That was caused by uh, governors and Trump's decisions to preemptively reopen. And so the people who lost their jobs in the first round, the people are going to lose their jobs in the second or the third round. This is not their fault. And they could lose their homes. They could lose their cars. They could lose everything. And they're watching the government and they're seeing effectively no leadership. We're just going to we're going to pretend that we're blindsided by this in a month or two when August is one of the worst months in American history. We're going to pretend that it's just like the pandemic. Who could have possibly predicted it? Uh, I've been to kind of get because I knew like we've talked about this on the show before and I, I know this is going to be a topic of discussion going forward. So I have been. Uh, listening to Evicted by Matthew Desmond, which came out a few years ago and was, you know, you know, praised by housing uh, rights advocates um, and, and lawyers who work in, in in defense and like, you know, stomping on slumlords as a good depiction of, of the housing crisis in America pre-pandemic. Holy shit, mm-hmm. we are fucked because there were already no protections, basically, for in so many places. Even states with deep progressive histories like Wisconsin, where the first several chapters uh, are, are about Milwaukee and the surrounding area, good lord, it's just like, even like the quote, good landlords are fucking assholes. Like, mm-hmm. we are so fucked. And we're seeing now, today, uh, estimates of 40 million people could be evicted in this crisis. Like, your mind yeah. can't that even really comprehend the number that big and yeah. what that means. Like and. Uh, here's a reference point 10 million people in the financial collapse (laughs) 10 million people four times the financial collapse just for evictions on top of all the other complex issues that we're facing right now where are these people going to go i mean i think we sort of know (laughs) yeah i mean you're only talking about what 15 percent of the entire u.s population simultaneously being made you know non-consensually homeless well, how could that possibly be a disaster? You know, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna go out there 
and they're going to face a situation where, um, you know, Jordan, I know that you, you, you talk about this a lot and you've done great work in this area. Um, you know, there, there wasn't the, the social safety net necessary for people who lost their homes before. And now what if we just, you know, doubled that number or tripled or quadrupled that number? How is that going to work out for us? It's interesting because I really think a lot of this stuff is something where, where I think Trump's first instinct on this was actually correct. Like when, when, when this all started, the word that was kind of coming out about what he wanted to do was give people money. Like he wanted to do that. And we were even having conversations on the show like, oh, are the Democrats about to be outflanked on the left economically? But it's interesting because <laughs> I think if that was the correct uh, decision, not only morally, but for Trump's elective election chances, frankly, I think if this situation had been going on for the last couple of months, and instead of this measly check that went out once and still has nothing has happened since yeah. then, if monthly millions of Americans have been getting a nice check in the mail, Trump's approval would probably a lot be a lot better right now. And it's his, uh, you know, the way people he think he's uh, handling all this crisis and there'd be a lot mm -hmm. less uh, insecurity, but it's funny because the, he allowed himself to be kind of corrupted by that Republican establishment that he was always kind of railing against. And they're so wedded to that, the ideologically like austerity and not ever helping anyone and only helping, you know, business people and, and people that have, uh, you know, wealth already that they couldn't bring themselves to even do the right thing, even if it was the right thing morally uh, and electorally. Um, but like you mentioned, now it's a situation where, you know, you could have a possibility of Joe Biden taking over as president. And when you look back at what happened in 2009, when Obama became president with Biden as vice president, how they responded to that crisis, well, they didn't side with the homeowners in the end. They sided with the banks. So mm -hmm. I don't see why anyone would think now that as badly as Trump has fucked this up and he's obviously has no interest in, in helping any of these folks as well. But I don't see, you know, is Biden going to be the one to come in there and, and like really help these people and ensure that their lives aren't disrupted like this and, and, you know, help them recover from this. Like history has not shown us that that's something that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah and plus they're time. already, they're <laughs> already gearing up for like kind of the fiscal hawk, uh, yep. you know, like protection. He's, he's uh, bringing in the whole, like, the, the same economic bullshit. team, Larry Summers and all the same guys that handled the last economic crisis and didn't respond to it forcefully enough. Yep. We are absolutely fucked. And I mean, Larry Summers, just the guy that will not fucking go away, but also like <laughs> yeah. never gets the scrutiny that he deserves. Like, I mean, he like kind of like, you know, tangential, uh, outrage, but like the guy, it's like the Forrest Gump of of <laughs> fucking financial collapse history. He is somehow attached to every catastrophic incident, or like uh, some has some causal relationship to everything. Even going back to when Brooksley Bourne was trying to regulate like derivatives, he was the guy who gathered all the bank executives and like poor, and like basically pressured her against doing it. Which if they done if they had done that, might have like prevented the financial collapse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and again, to no, tie that, it back that, to the the primary, that's the kind of frustrating thing is this could be a moment right now where Bernie Sanders could be the presumptive Democratic nominee, like just about to be uh, appointed, and he could be leading with a that kind of an economic populist message that I feel like people would probably respond to, all these millions and millions of people that are being evicted and losing their homes. They would be faced with a choice of, of Donald Trump, who oversaw this and created it, or a completely alternative vision that's like, we can give you your life back and allow you to continue living with dignity and not be uh, not have your life completely ruined by this but now they're it, it's it, the yeah. typical like shitty choice of american elections where they have to choose between a you know rampant fascist and this these like conservative basically neoliberals that are that are not going to respond forcefully mm -hmm. to any of this stuff 
Yeah, I mean, Not imagine good. if we had a five-month period of Bernie giving speeches about how we need to divorce, you know, health insurance from employment <laughs> and how we're going to make sure that everyone has coverage imagine and they're that. not going to yeah. become <laughs> medically bankrupt and, you know, all of that. It would be absolutely amazing. And instead, we have a situation where my best case scenario is that Joe Biden doesn't actually speak until after the election, um, which is about as depressing as anything I could think of. And the only reason that like like Trump, if he you laid out a couple of the big mistakes he's made, um, he had to flub every part of this to yeah. not guarantee his reelection. If he had done a ha- like if he had pretended to cared, not yeah. actually care, but if he'd pretended and had done the bare minimum, then he would be blowing away Joe Biden. Um, to say nothing of what know, if the it, pandemic it, had never happened, I think he would be just cruising to reelection right now. Oh easily. yeah, no, he'd be up by ten. Yeah. Like, um, but no, and. <laughs> 150,000 people have died. The GDP had like the worst quarter like ever on record. And and I understand some of that was always going to happen. I've been saying on my show literally every day I've been needlessly fair uh, to Donald Trump. There was no scenario where nobody died from coronavirus in America. But there might have been a scenario where 20,000 people died or 40,000 people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the, the odds go up from there. We did not need, uh, you know, by the election, what, 200, 250,000 people have died? I don't know about you guys. I, I have uh, a relative on a ventilator right now. None of this needed to happen. How many people have died? And then how many far more have had, you know, irreparable uh, organ damage that's been done or they're a family member, or a friend of someone who's been ravaged by this. He has cut like this wound across America, a number of them in terms of public health and the economy that were totally needless. And because of the lack of accountability in our system, basically at every level, and the rampant, you know, voter suppression, gerrymandering, the, the, you know, all of that. He still has a chance. He still has a chance. Everything about America is so fundamentally disappointing and depressing. <laughs> uh, I mean, to, to, to go back to the, the eviction crisis, um, I th- you know, there were eviction riots in the, during the Depression uh, when people were kind of fighting back because they were losing their homes. And this was just uh, the eviction rate then was a fraction of what it is today uh or in especially what it will be and <laughs> we've got a country i mean jordan you want a, a piece of breaking news from <laughs> the past up? two days i don't know if you saw it but in connecticut did you see this but they surrounded um, the, the courthouse well no that maybe that too but um uh, a man allegedly killed his landlord with a samurai sword he oh, decapitated him because of a rent dispute i did see now that. i'm yeah. It's the internet, so maybe some of those facts are a little bit off, but it's going to happen. I Yeah, I think we're already out in the streets. Yeah. We're already doing it. Yeah, like we were saying, like, I don't think anyone is has, you're, like, your brain can't even fathom that amount of people and, and suffering that amount of kind of catastrophic change so quickly. We've already seen, like, the biggest uprisings going on in American history over the last few months. And it like there there is a scenario here where we look back on that as being like a minor kind of pre earthquake before the real stuff started to go down. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone has any any clue how this is going to play out uh, because it's just it's so completely unprecedented. That's then that's the kind of like terrifying thing. Yeah. But uh, besides all that, I hope everything's going well with you, John. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks I for that. no. I mean, look, I'm really fast. I feel incredibly lucky for, in a number of different ways. Um, you know, you know, like so many people, tens, tens and tens and tens of millions of people 
have it far worse. You know, I'm lucky just to be able to work at all and that, you know, my wife and I are safe and we're both able to work remotely and all that. Like for the people who have lost their jobs or can't work, the people who have had to weather this pandemic entirely on their own. Um, I, I can't even imagine what this period must have been like for yeah. them. Well, it's the same for me. I mean, I'm I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm Canadian, so I'm I'm insulated from from a lot of everything that mm-hmm. happens here. I, you know, and people get frustrated at me sometimes for that because I I like to talk about America while while from my comfortable perch here. But um, <laughs> as devastating as that's going to be, obviously for millions and millions of people, it, it is bad. In in fact, for everyone in the world, including Canada and everywhere else, if American society completely fucking collapses, the like lone yes. global superpower. Uh, that's not good for, for anybody at all. So, um, that's why it's a terrifying (laughs) moment for me, whether you're in the thick of this, obviously it's, it's a different situation and you're dealing with even more real consequences, but it's, I think it's terrifying for every single person watching what's unfolding in America right now, just because it's, it's so completely unprecedented and, and scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. John, thank you so Sorry much for to joining be a downer. Us. No, it's okay. Actually, this was great. It was great to talk to you about this stuff. I mean, we okay, thank you, and to both of you as well. I mean, that's thank what we're that's what we're trying to do thank here, you, and I know you try to do it as well. It's like we want to talk about this stuff. It gets very dark and depressing sometimes, but we also want to, you know, be something that's that's something somewhat entertaining yeah. for people that people can enjoy. And and that's fast. why you start with games. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we ease you into the the really the really bad stuff. Yeah. But on on your show, you have you you know you find some positive uh, spin to yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So, like things, people, and you lift up people who can um, make a difference and change these things. So, where can people uh, can find your show, The Damage Report? Uh, well, uh, the main place is you can watch it. Um, you know, every, every day live at youtubecom slash report. Um, but we're also on Twitter by that same name, and you know, Twitch and Roku and Zumo and basically <laughs> everything. If you have a device, we we're on it. Zumo. What is that? Is that a new, the I very new cool app that not even not, not even the kids know yeah, about? It's very fresh. <laughs> not allowed on it. I it's think it's data. about to be banned. Yeah. Oh no! Um. <laughs> yeah, and just just before we sign off too, I just wanted to touch on something we said, which is that as scary as that is, and as much trauma and terrible things are going on right now, I mean there there's also beautiful moments of of solidarity and and really yeah. inspiring stuff going on with these uprisings. When you talk about the eviction, the pe- the way communities are coming together to try and rehouse people and and fight back against this as as uh, like community grassroots organizations and in, like in terms of like inspiring people and taking something positive away from this moment that's how people in america and everywhere where where we're dealing with like fallout from the pandemic and from the economic fallout that's how uh, we're going to respond to that is by through community and solidarity and organizing from the grassroots up and we're seeing a lot of that in america too and as terrifying as and dark as everything is that is really inspiring and something we can all i think take hope from yes i agree good point and now we can, uh, we can finish on a nice, pleasant note. But thank you, John. Thanks so much <laughs> for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening.